Amen. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 together. Romans chapter 1. I left my coat on this morning from the earlier service, not because I wanted to show out, but uh, I got stirred up and I got sweaty in the earlier service. And so if I take it off, I'm going to be cold. So I just left it on. So I'm not trying to, you know, put on anything. I, I, I've been really thinking. I, I wrote uh, J.D. Greer and David Platt this morning, told them I'm thinking about getting some black skinny jeans with some black shoes and, and let my shirt tail hang out, you know, and put a little spike in my hair. But I'm running out of hair. So I don't know how that's going to work for me. But um, I'm so honored to be here this morning. I so appreciate your pastor's invitation. Uh, the privilege to come and share the, the word with you today. And, and my prayer is just that the Lord would just take his word and just speak to your heart. I'm not uh, here on any agenda. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But I love to talk to, uh, to our people in America about the great need of the hour around the world. And just in these uh, brief moments we have together, I'm not going to keep you here a long time, although we could wait till. Uh, you know, another hour, and you'd still just think you're getting to church. So uh, I'm not going to do that. But this is what I want you to think about this morning before you leave this auditorium. That if you've not done this recently, if you haven't really thought about this, that today before you leave the auditorium, either where you're standing or up here at this, at this altar, that you would just kneel before the Lord and you would say, Lord... In light of what's happening all over the world. And because of the fact that I only have one life to give you. I only have one life to give you. I don't want to waste any of the time that you've given to me on this side of eternity. So because of the urgency of the hour and what you're doing around the world and the fact that you've only given me one life to live, then Lord, I want to present myself to you and I want to give my life to you and whatever you show me, whatever you show me about missions, whether it's right across the street, whether it's across the James River Uh, on your way to Richmond, whether it's in this state, whether it's at your school, whatever it is, whatever it is. I have two daughters here this morning, uh, and one of them, Elizabeth here, will be headed to Zimbabwe this summer to live for two months in an orphanage uh, just to give herself away to, to those orphan kids. My daughter Katie spent about six months in Dubai taking care of four Uh, adopted African children just pouring into their life between uh, high school and starting college at Liberty. So don't tell me you're too young. Don't waste your life. I'm thankful to see uh, this deaf sign language going on over here because let me tell you, even in the area of the global deaf, I was in a meeting uh, in Indiana and uh, there was the Southern Baptist Convention of the Deaf. All of the uh, deaf churches in the United States had sent representatives there. There are about 650 of them who had gathered there in Indianapolis. And um, I was watching them in their worship service. Pastor, I was sitting on the front row. 
And a lady got up to lead the worship, and she kicked her shoes off before she got up on the platform. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, now this is my kind of church. You know, this is going to be, we're going to have a good time here. She gets up to lead the worship, and uh, the guy who's at the sound booth, she starts doing this. He turns the music on, and she starts doing this. And I mean, I mean, you know, start really cranking it up. Now, it was counterintuitive to me that I would need hearing protectors at a deaf convention. That's not something I had anticipated. But do you know what she was waiting for? She was waiting to feel the vibration of the music through the floorboards of the platform. And when she could feel the beat of the music through the floorboard of the platform, she began to lead that congregation in worship. And when I saw it, the light went on in my understanding. See, I've, I've been responsible for global mission strategy for about 10 years. We lived in Africa for 20 years. Uh, for about half my time in Africa, I was responsible for developing strategy in sub-Saharan Africa to make sure that every person in our area had the opportunity to hear the gospel at least once in their life. See, I think we owe people that. I, I really, honestly, if you're here this morning and you're lost, you know why you're lost? You want to be lost. You've heard the gospel. You've had the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And maybe you've said no for now, whatever your reason is. You haven't been convinced yet, whatever your reason is. But why should you have the, 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 the privilege of hearing the gospel twice? When there are millions in our world who've never heard it even once. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. And here we are. And I'm convinced that we owe him our witness. So I've been responsible for that. And I had always thought that deaf people had, uh, you know, it's our hearing church's responsibility to provide a deaf uh, interpreter so that they can get someone to tell them about Jesus. But when I watched them worship, I realized something I had missed. And I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I realized that deafness is not a handicap. Deafness is something that creates a unique people group in the world. In other words, a deaf Chinese has more in common with a deaf Russian than they do a hearing Chinese. The fact that they're deaf creates a unique way of looking at the world and receiving information. Just the very simple translation of this phrase, God hears my prayers. She won't sign that. You know why? Because for a deaf person, God doesn't hear their prayer. He sees their prayer. He sees their prayer. And I sat there and I looked at that and I realized that I had missed it. That deaf people in our world today need a unique strategy so that they can hear the gospel in their own context and they can be planted in deaf churches that can worship in deaf style and then share the gospel with others who are like them around the world. So when I got up to preach to that group, I said to them, look, I'm ashamed. I owe you an apology. I got choked up about it. And I said, I realized that that I just hadn't understand, uh, understood this. I knew it when I lived and was born and raised in Africa. I knew it as an, as an African that when someone comes to preach the gospel to the Shona, they learn to speak Shona, right? 
They learn to share the gospel in an African way. Listen, we don't worship like this in Africa. I mean, we get a little more excited about it than y'all do. I know this is pretty good. I mean, the guy on the guitar, I wish I had had his energy too, you know? But, um, <clears throat> buddy, that was a blessing to me. Thank you for sharing your talent and ability. Uh, that guy's in the world all by himself, isn't he? I tell you. I love that. I love that. When I'm in Africa, I was born and raised in Africa. My first worship was an African church. You know, we, we, they didn't have guitars and, you know, amps and stuff. They just had, you know, sticks and clackers and shakers and, you know, rattlers and whatever they had. But let me tell you, when they start to get to worshiping, yeah, well, what about our deaf people? You don't think there's a way they worship? that grips their heart when they want to express their worship to God. So I said to this group of deaf people, I said, I'm ashamed to admit it. I didn't understand this. But who better than you to be a missionary to take the gospel to the deaf in our world? You understand where they come from. I said, I've been in places they're the most hidden, despised, persecuted people in the community. When I gave the invitation, we ran out of cards at 75. Within three weeks, we had over 30 in the process to be appointed as missionaries. Today, there are 36 deaf missionaries around the world. There are planting churches in places like China where the deaf churches in China are exploding. A group of three deaf Chinese went on their first mission trip about three months ago to Bangladesh, shared the gospel with deaf Bengalis. And there is now a deaf church in Bangladesh. Did you know if you're born into a Muslim society, if you live under Sharia law, a deaf person has no hope of paradise. It is a blemish that precludes them from paradise. What do you think is happening in North Africa and the Middle East when our deaf missionaries go to deaf young men and women raised in Muslim society and tell them God sees your prayer, has a plan for your life, can forgive you for your sin, and there's a place for you in eternity. About six months ago, they were doing that up in the Middle East, and over 12 uh, deaf people came to faith in Jesus Christ from around North Africa and the Middle East, and they baptized them in the Red Sea. And the missionary who was at the training wrote me and said, Gordon, the hearts of the deaf in the Middle East are opening wide to the gospel. There are now three different churches in Egypt that are deaf-specific churches. One in the last year has grown to over 300 in size. This is unprecedented in Christian history. Friends, you're living in the day of the greatest advance of the gospel ever known in Christian history. And when I leave here this morning, it's my urgent plea to you. It is my, uh, it is my request of you. I'm begging you. To put your life on the altar and for you to say, God, keep me spiritually alert so that I can see what you see and you can direct my steps of my life so that my life can count for the sake of your great kingdom. We don't get to do it again. This is it, friends. I turned uh, 59 years old this year and uh, I've spent the last 30 years in missions. I was born and raised on the mission field. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it any other way. If I had another life to give, I'd give it right back the same way. And what are you going to do with your life? In Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and following, this is what the text says. 
And then just in these brief moments we have together before we give this invitation, that's your verdict. That's when you listen to what God is saying. You filter out whatever Brother Gordon has said, and you just say, Lord, what's the word for me? Then you'll render your verdict at the invitation, and you'll decide, what, what, what am I going to do with it, okay? Now, here's what the apostle says in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. When Leanne, my wife, and I uh, were living in Botswana, Africa, in a desert climate where it was hot and dry and difficult and the spiritual soil was difficult, there were times I was discouraged. At times I thought, you know, am I in the right place or am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? Is this really what it's all about? And uh, I wondered about this apostle. What was it that kept him motivated in his missionary calling in spite of his hardships, in spite of his difficulties? I, I wanted to know his secret. You know, what kept Paul going? And in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he'll, he'll tell you some of the stuff he went through. He says, in, 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 he says in, in verse 23 and following, he says, I've been beaten times without number. He said, I've been stoned. He said, I've been thrown into prison. He said, I, I've been lashed three times with the 39 lashes on my back. He said, I've been hungry. I've been in danger. I've been in tribulation. He, you know, that was not an easy life. But yet he kept going. When you look in the New Testament and read about his life, you realize something kept this missionary moving forward no matter what he faced. And in this verse, he tells you the answer to that question I had in my heart. What is it that is motivating him? Now, that word motivation is an interesting word. Uh, I'm in the middle of five boys, uh, four of us born in a bush hospital in Africa. My parents were medical doctors, went to Africa in 1952. And my dad delivered me in this bush hospital. And that may not be a, much of a problem to you, but you try filling out a passport application where it says place of birth and you put in the bush. And see what kind of response you get from the State Department. But uh, that's where I was born and raised. Well, I was sitting on the porch one morning and my eldest brother, Giles, uh, who's three years my senior, was running across the yard and he was drunk, jumping this ditch. Uh, my, my mom had not had running water in her house. And so they had dug a ditch across the yard and laid some pipe from a well they had dug. And the ditch was about a foot wide, maybe two feet deep. And so he was jumping this ditch. And... He made one pretty good jump, and he yelled at me under the board, Hey, I bet you can't jump as far as I did. Well, I mean, he's a foot taller than me and older than me. I knew I didn't have a chance, but I got to, you know, show my brother. So I get off from under the porch, and I'm pushing off from the wall of the house. I'm running as fast as I can. And just about the time I get to that ditch to make my jump, you know, I'm concentrating. He yells, Snake! <laughs> Listen, I look down. And this Egyptian banded cobra had been crawling in the base of that ditch. And from our angle, you couldn't see it. And he had kicked some dirt in on it, and that snake's come up out of that ditch and hooded. Now listen, when I looked down and see that snake head, I, it's too late for me to stop. When I took off from the ground, not only did I beat my brother's jump, I beat him by like three inches. <laughs> so now what was the difference? Motivation. That's exactly right. I mean, 
wham, I mean, I'm looking down, wow, I go over the top of that snake. Well, see, that's what the apostle's describing here. He says, there's something in his heart. He says, it's motivating me. He said, this is pressing me forward. And he uses this description. He says, I have an obligation. Or my King James says, I have a debt to pay. I owe something. And this debt, he describes, he said, I owe this to those who are lost, who have never heard the gospel. Those who don't know anything about the gospel. He said, I owe them something. They have a claim on me. They have a claim on me. Now, why is that important? In the northeast part of our country, there's a tribe called the Kalanga people. There's about 250,000 of them. And uh, earlier missionaries had bypassed the Kalangas. The, the Moffats had been in the south working with the Tswana tribes. David Livingston had gone to the north of the Zambi, to Zambia and worked with those tribes. But the Kalangas were a rural tribe kind of sandwiched between Botswana and Zimbabwe and had just been neglected through their generations, about 250,000 of them. And I met a young man who had left this tribe, gone to the capital city, got his education, and while he was there in high school, he heard the gospel and became a believer. And we were at a, at a Baptist rally one time, and he said, Pastor Fort, would you go with me uh, to my tribe so that, so that I can share the gospel with my people? So I said, yeah, I'll do that. And we made an, uh, an arrangement, and uh, we'd gone out into the forest. We were camping out in the bush. And one morning, headed to see the Paramount Chief, uh, we were walking through the woods and on a dirt track. And I look off to the side, about 35 or 40 yards off the trail, and, and, and there's this pen cut out of the woods, a cow pen. And there's this lady in the muck of the cow pen milking the cow. And when I look over, I catch her glance from under the belly of the cow. And I felt a little prick in my heart, and I said to Benjamin, Hey, Benjamin, look, there's a lady in that cow pen over there. Why don't we go share the gospel with her? And he said, Oh, pastor, look, you know, she's just a peasant woman from the village up here. And, you know, she, you're a white guy. You know, she's going to be afraid. And, you know, we're strangers. And so uh, let's just go on and see the chief first. So we went a little bit further, maybe five, six steps. And again, I remember looking over, and she was still watching and I felt this tug in my heart. And again, I said to Benjamin, I don't know. I just I feel like we're supposed to share with her, Benjamin. And again, he said, Pastor, you know, she's just probably a peasant woman from the village up here. She's going to be embarrassed, but okay, you want to go talk to her? I'll go. I said, well, look, call out a greeting in her language, Kalanga. Call out a greeting in Kalanga, and then she'll know at least you're from here. So we get about halfway off the trail towards the cow pen, and he yells a greeting in Kalanga. She stands up from behind the cow. And we get to the edge of this cow pen. We're standing on the outside. So I said, Benjamin, ask her if I could tell her my story. So he speaks to her in Kalanga, and she agrees. So she comes up from behind the cow, and she's standing on the inside of the pen, and we're standing on the outside. And I just begin to open the very simple truth of the gospel. You know, the message of salvation is not a complicated message, friends. Uh, basically... What the scripture teaches is this. There's a separation between you and I as human beings and holy God. He is not like us. He is other than us. In his holiness and righteousness, just like that song we just sang, holy, holy, holy. He, he's not like us. And when we were born on this earth, God had a standard of righteousness of the way he wanted us to live. There, there are laws that he has written into the universe. And God has set this standard of righteousness. 
and you and I have fallen short of his standard. And that, that distance between us and God's standard is what separates us from holy God. And every human being on this planet feels that separation. When I was studying anthropology at Texas A&M, I found in every single anthropological study done that every people on this planet have a form of religion. You see, we feel that separation. And our religious effort is an attempt to overcome that barrier and have communion with holy God. And what God did was in Jesus Christ, He sent His only Son to die on the cross in our place, to take the penalty for our sin and our transgression. And in His death, He atoned or paid for our sin. And as I'm explaining this and Benjamin is translating, I watch as the Spirit of the Lord begins to open this lady's heart to the truth of the message. And when I got through, I said, Benjamin, would you ask her if today she would like to invite Jesus to be the new Lord, the new chief in her life? And he talks to her for a minute, and she nods yes. So Benjamin leads her in prayer. And as far as we know, this lady is amongst the first Kalanga women to come to faith in Jesus Christ. When she finishes pray, praying, she looks up from, from talking to Benjamin, and she looks at me. And she begins to speak to me in fluent English. I mean, it was a total shock to me. She had not let on for a second that she had heard anything I had said. In fact, honestly, the first couple of words, I thought it was a miracle. I mean, you know, that's what us missionaries were out there looking for those miracles, you know. And uh, so she goes on to say this. She says, oh, I know you don't know who I am. She said, but I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. She said, I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college. I came home for the weekend. I was just helping my parents with the chores. And then she made this statement. I knew when you saw me under the belly of that cow that you would think I was just a peasant woman. And I said to myself, if what those men have to say is so important that they would turn aside to come share it with me, it must be the truth. That lady became a leading worker in our work in Botswana. But now see, here's the essential question. Why isn't it up to you to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? In other words, why don't you get to just pick and choose? Why don't you just get to decide the criteria by which, what, which some will hear it and some won't? Why isn't it up to you? You know why? Because that's not the way God treated you. He didn't know you the gospel. He's not lucky to have some of you on his side. In fact, many of us who are in this room here this morning... If we had time to hear your testimony, I know there's some of you who would say to me, Brother Gordon, if you just knew my story, I was on the road to hell. I was living my life just like I pleased. I, I was headed into a direction where I would have been trapped by, by, you know, by activities. I would have been, been trapped in behaviors. Uh, I, I would have been addicted today if it hadn't have been for the grace of God who saw me in my condition that I couldn't save myself. 
I was helpless to save myself. I couldn't forgive myself. But God, in his mercy and grace, he saw me. I was like that song. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me, and now safe am I. And today, your testimony would be, Gordon, I'm I'm a trophy of the grace of God. If you just knew me and what I used to be like, if it hadn't have been for his grace, not only would I not be here, I'd probably be in jail. I'd have destroyed my family. I'd have wrecked my home. I'd have caused great pain to my mom and dad. I'd have just ruined my life. But God, God had mercy on me. And he saved me. Now, if that's you, then friend, you have a debt to pay. You have an obligation. You owe your witness to people who've never heard that before. They're waiting in darkness for someone to come, for someone to come and just say to them, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy anymore. You don't have to live chained in your sin. You don't have to be afraid of the evil spirits. There is hope in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. And if you were to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today, he could change your life and change your future. Because that is what he did for me. Now, you know, if that wasn't enough... That I have a debt to pay. The last thing I want to say to you is to look at his heart. He's not hanging his head. He's not dragging his feet. He's he's not saying, oh man, I got to go. This is just the cross I have to bear, you know. I mean, his, his, his head's not hanging down. He's not dreading it. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, today I might get thrown into prison. Well, I don't know where my next meal's going to come from. He's not whining and complaining. Listen to what he says. He says, as much as in me is, I am ready to come to you. This guy, he says, I'm eager to come to you. He says, I'm excited about it. I'm pumped about it. I'm ready for it. Here I am. Lord, send me. I'm ready to go. When Leanne and I first moved to Richmond, uh, we we live out in the West End out there. And uh, I was headed to work one morning. I came to the traffic light up near our house. And this guy pulls up next to me in a white Ford Mustang. I think he's 19 or 20. And he looks over through the window and he hits his accelerator. Now listen, I don't know if that'd do anything to you. But you know, there's something down inside old Gordon Ford just wants to rise up. You know, because I feel like, I just feel like the guy's thinking old man. See, so I'm telling you, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, I'm watching that light, I'm watching that light. And I tell you, I'm looking at him, watching that, turn, I see a little sliver of green, boom, I hit the accelerator. I peeled out in my wife's white minivan. That dude was so far in front of me, it wasn't even funny. But you know what? I felt better, right? You been there? Boy, I felt better, you know? Well, listen, that is exactly what the apostle's describing here. He said, you know, if God gives me a crack for the sake of the gospel, buddy, I'm going through it. See, he's looking for any excuse. He says, I'm not only willing, I'm ready and I'm prepared. Now, listen, this is why you young people, I'm saying to you this morning, At the invitation, you ought to get to this aisle, down that aisle, and at this altar, and you ought to lay your life before the Lord and say, Lord, 
whatever you want to do with me related to mission, I'm willing. Because you don't want to miss any opportunity that God may have for you. You want to know that the life you have will count for the sake of the name of the great king. And the only way your life can count is if you live it on his purpose for you. And it's not something to be dreaded. It's not something to be feared. We are, many of us, running from the most exciting adventure that God has in store for us. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's not boring. Listen, to walk with God every day of your life and to know him and to be filled with his spirit. He says, I've come that you might have life and more abundant. Pressed down, overflowing, filled with joy because you know that your life is pleasing to your great king. Why don't you give your life to him? Why don't you lay your future at the throne before him and just tell him, God, whatever I can do for you, whatever I can do for you, is there something you need that I can do for you? And then leave it up to him what he says. And you'll enter into the greatest adventure of faith and of life that you can imagine. I was a junior in high school when I made that decision. And I've never regretted it. What would you do with it? Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you able? Because Paul said, I have a debt to pay. But he said, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm able. Everything that's inside of me is prepared for whatever God calls me to do. Let's pray together.